0: kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply welcome to the starfleet leadership academy leadership development told through the lens of star trek your host jeff aiken is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership he specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge star trek fan and now here's your host jeff aiken Welcome, thanks for joining me today. The last thing most anyone wants to do is have a conversation with someone that isn't gonna feel good. But Neelix here gives me an opportunity to talk about the best way to have a difficult conversation as he and Tuvok go head to head in the 19th episode of the third season of Voyager, Rise. It's bad CGI asteroids. Oh my god. Wait. Is this Is this Babylon 5? <laughs> Shots fired, I know. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. I know. I know that's not fair. This is from 1997 and honestly, pretty amazing for the time and the medium. The bridge crew along with some aliens are watching an asteroid hurdle towards a planet fire they expected to vaporize the asteroid but it just fragmented they start targeting them the fragments but two of them are going to impact the planet this has been going on for a few days before voyager got involved but the aliens the Nizu, had the had the same results the damage from these fragments weren't, weren't too bad, but in six hours, another asteroid is on its way, and it looks like it'll hit the major population centers. Sklar, the ambassador's assistant, is encouraging evacuation, but but there just isn't time. We should evacuate the colony. We haven't time to evacuate all those people. They get a notification from the surface that things aren't what they seem. The asteroids have artificial materials in there. Dr. Vadam wants to meet with the ambassador directly, but as he's kind of setting the terms, the communication fails. They wanna to go to him, they wanna go find him, but they're not sure exactly where he is and the transporters aren't working. It's not gonna get through the planet's ionosphere. So a shuttle journey, shuttle journey's the answer, but it's gonna be really, really dangerous, very precarious. But Janeway commits to helping. In for a penny, in for a pound. The ambassador doesn't want to risk any of the Voyager crew or the Voyager any more than they already have, but Janeway says that they're there to help, and that's exactly what they're going to do. So they put together three shuttles to head down. Torres, the chief engineer, asks for pieces of the asteroid fragments, so she can do an analysis of them as well. Neelix, we all remember Neelix, right? He's the cook, he's the morale officer, he's the native of the of the Delta Quadrant. Yeah, also, um, well, not my favorite character at all. Well, Neelix is way excited for this opportunity. He asked to be on the mission and Janeway said he could as part of his Starfleet training. I've been assigned to Lieutenant Tuvok's team, and no matter what I do, I can't seem to please him. Remember this moment. This sets the stage for really the the rest of this podcast episode. Shuttles are headed down. Tuvok, Neelix, and Sklar are on the Sacagawea. Sklar is not handling the turbulence well. He's clearly not accustomed to being outside of his office. They hit a rough layer in the atmosphere, and they end up having to make a crash landing. They're shaken up, but not hurt too bad. Dr. Batum and another miner are, conveniently, right at the crash site. Sklar tries to get the info on the asteroids from him, but he refuses. Tuvok, now remember, Tuvok is the security officer on Voyager and, well, arguably, Janeway's most trusted confidant. He's also a Vulcan, which means he has a very different approach to everything. While he feels emotions, he does not express them. Well, he says to Dr. Vadim that he's there on behalf of the ambassador, so he can share the information with him. But again, Vadim refuses. He's only going to share the information directly with the ambassador. The shuttle shuttle is totaled. Tuvok wants to focus repairs on the comm system so they can send a distress signal and get some help. He and Neelix immediately clash. Tuvok wants him to do a damage assessment on the exterior, but Neelix feels like he can start the repairs himself. I've been studying with Lieutenant Torres. She gave me a full orientation on shuttlecraft systems. The damage report, Mr. Neelix? When he's outside, though, he sees an orbital tether. This is like a, a big stick, a big uh, tether, a big thing, a big connector that goes from the ground all the way up through into the atmosphere, into a low orbit. He offers that they can ride that up, take that orbital tether and a carriage up out of the ionosphere and contact Voyager that way. Dr. Vadim, though, says the carriage is terribly damaged. But Neelix has some ideas between his training with Torres and two years, apparently, that he's spent on a tether back on his home planet of Rhinax. Tuvok doesn't like it, though. Neelix pleads with him. Finally, he reluctantly agrees. They get to the base of the tether, and Neelix is assessing the situation. when suddenly, a woman leaps out from the dark, grabs Neelix, and holds a knife to his throat. She says, everyone needs to stay away or she'll kill him. The camera, the camera holds on Tuvok's face here. And even though he's Vulcan, right, doesn't express emotion, I feel like he's doing some quick calculus here, considering maybe, maybe just letting her do it. Kill him. But he doesn't. They put their weapons down, and they step away. She is protecting the base as her shelter during the asteroid impacts. Neelix nervously explains the plan, and she agrees to let him go. She even agrees to help, as long as she can also head up on the carriage with them. Neelix starts putting people to work, and while he's doing that, we learn that in addition to the damage that Dr. Batum Batum mentioned, also Oxygen is super limited. So while the air thins, the plot thickens. <laughs> Sorry. Torres is ripping into one of the asteroid fragments with Chicote and the ambassador. Chicote, the, the first officer of the ship and a good friend of Torres's, They find a triadium-based guidance system inside of it. Ambassador, I have a feeling these asteroids aren't striking a planet by chance. Repairs are going well on the carriage. Neelix decides to name it after his favorite sister, Elixia. Apparently that's good luck in, uh, in Talaxian culture. Tuvok and Neelix clash quite a few times during this. Since we arrived, you have spent as much time engaged in idle conversation as you have making repairs. Neelix tries to stand up for himself, but Tuvok is having none of it. He is stern he is short with him, constantly reminding Neelix that this is a life-threatening situation and he needs to take it more seriously. As they start prepping stuff to load onto the carriage, Dr. Vadim locks himself in it and starts to launch procedures. Tuvok busts in, but he's too late. The launch sequence is in full effect. Carriage is heading up long before they were ready for it to. Neelix jumps in. He's steering the carriage and working to get a stable ascent. He's giving orders, and everyone's following them. This is this is high-stakes stuff, full, full-on emergency. He finally hits 47 kilometers per hour and stabilizes the carriage. In the mess of it all, they ruptured one of the oxygen converters. Neelix says that they're going to run out of air about halfway up if they can't repair it. He also says that because of leaving early, he's going to have to manually steer the carriage the whole way. As he's explaining things, it comes out that uh, Neelix never actually worked on real carriages or orbital tethers. Nope. He just built one-tenth scale models of them. He's, <laughs> Neelix is totally one of those model train enthusiasts. You know, he's that enthusiast who just got the chance right now to actually be the engineer on the real train. You built models. Yikes, oh, not a good play, Neelix. Not good at all. On the bridge, Harry Kim, one of the Voyager crew, reports that there is a massive asteroid on its way. It's gonna arrive in about two hours. Janeway is really worried. And back on the carriage, oxygen is getting really thin. People are struggling to breathe. Tuvok is injecting the riders with a compound to help them through this. Man, don't hold your breath now. Take it in there, you go. Bacon and that's there you go. Some of them are also making sure to drink what I'm, what I'm guessing is water. Sklar, the assistant to the ambassador, is worried about the injection hurting. Uh, he's, he's very much the warrior on board and just kind of ramping up anxiety in general. Acknowledging that Tuvok, because he's Vulcan and has a more efficient pulmonary system, maybe the only one conscious at some point, Neelix starts to teach him how to pilot the carriage. But Vadim, out of nowhere, suddenly tries to open the door to the outside. He says there's something on the roof. And then he dies. They assume he must have suffocated. But Tuvok, Tuvok finds that his water was poisoned. He was murdered. Neelix wants to stop the carriage and see what Dr. Vadim was talking about. But Tuvok shuts him down. I am not interested in your funny feeling. He says that stopping the carriage at this point will cause them to lose magnetic cohesion The carriage will crash, killing them all. Neelix, Neelix, though, stops the carriage on his own and just unloads on Tuvok. He's tired of being ignored and treated so poorly. Lilius, the, the woman who attacked him and held the knife to his throat earlier, stands up for him. You're dismissive and condescending. Tuvok listens and continues to disagree with Neelix's plan. So Neelix goes on strike. He's the only one that can pilot the carriage, and he refuses to budge. That gets Tuvok to take action. He says he's going to be the one to go up onto the roof. I'm looking for Mr. Neelix's instinct. Fighting to the end, he refuses to let Neelix win this one. Up on the roof, he finds a data pad under a panel. He reports this to Neelix. He says it holds info on an alien starship. Immediately, Sklar heads out onto the roof. He injures Neelix on his way out, and then he attacks Tuvok. He tosses him over the side of the carriage, grabs the data pad, and heads back in. Inside, the writers wanna know what the heck happened. Mr. Tuvok, returned to the surface. On Voyager, the asteroid comes into visual range, and it's not an asteroid at all. That's no moon. It's a massive vessel with over 2,000 people on it. They reach out to Voyager and they say that they lay claim to this planet. But Janeway, Janeway is not having this at all. stations. On the carriage, Neelix sees Tuvok through a window. He caught himself on the way down and is climbing to the door. Neelix, injured and slow, drags himself to the door, opens it and lets Tuvok back in. He and Sklar go at it with Sklar really giving it to him. Tuvok eventually gets the upper hand and ends up shoving Sklar out through the door. Tuvok thanks Neelix for opening up the carriage for him. He assumes that Sklar must have wanted to keep the alien starship data a secret and that he's the one that killed Dr. Vadam. Neelix has a concussion and is struggling to get back to the controls. So Tuvok, Tuvok gives him a pep talk saying that his sister, Elixia, will be proud of him. Neelix makes his way to the controls and gets them all the way up to communication range. Voyager and the aliens are in a firefight. It is very, very one-sided, and Voyager's time is limited. Somehow, (laughs) Neelix and Tuvok and crew get beamed over in the middle of all this. They share the data pad, and this lets them cut through their shields. All the information on that data pad was on this ship. So two non-lethal shots later, and they're retreating. The ambassador wants to know what happened to Sklar. Mr. Sklar, return to the surface. (laughs) Sick burn, Neelix. We find out this whole invasion thing is actually kind of a cool little idea. The invading aliens send these asteroids at planets to get the inhabitants to evacuate. Once they're gone, they sweep in, take over the vacant planet. Dr. Vadim found out about this and was trying to stop it while Sklar had obviously become a double agent. Tuvok and Neelix talk as the episode comes to an end. Tuvok says he gave Neelix a special commendation in his mission report for bravery, but he still can't let it go. One day your intuition will fail. Neelix takes it in stride, though. And one day, Mr. Vulcan, I'll get you to trust your gut. If you know me, you know how I feel about Neelix. But I also like to think I'm pretty fair about my feelings on him. Back in the Starfleet Leadership Academy episode on Voyager Homestead, I, I sang his praises. I'm not quite there with him on this one, but I do think this is an important episode for him. Come to Grass fun. Come right now, don't walk, run! Hey, listeners, do you love true crime podcasts but are sick and tired of listening to the same cases over and over and over again? Seriously, how many times can you listen to a story about Ted Bundy or the Golden State Killer? If I have to hear one more podcast about John Wayne Gacy, (laughs) I'm going to start dressing like a clown. If you feel the way that I do, then you have to listen to modem mischief modem mischief is a true cybercrime podcast they tell stories about the world's most notorious hackers and the lives affected by them you'll hear stories about the dark web and what goes on down there and their recent show is about the teenage hacker gang the 414s it's like war games but in real life check out modem mischief wherever you get your podcasts space the final frontier. That's it. That's as fast as she'll go. Distance of the wave. 10,000 kilometers and closing. A gigantic sphere just appeared the moment we crossed into it. And what's that glowing orb at the center? It's a star, Captain. We're inside a Dyson sphere. This is Captain Nyota Uhura calling the other starship Excelsior. These are the voyages of the... Oh, who am I kidding? Can't you see you just walked into a trap? We use an ancient gateway to explore the farthest reaches of the galaxy. Hell! All stop! Turn and fight! Too late! Gateway transition in three, two, one! To defend yourself, for I shall feed. Who then? Who killed you all? The dark! Machines in the dark! Machines in the dark. That's the secret my unit has been guarding, cadet. Not another invasion, but the promise of one. Our assignment is to find out what we can and come back alive. The rest is rhetoric. The thing about saber rattling is that there's no good way to stop it until somebody pulls a saber out. We need the brave. We need the brilliant. Or the Federation will fail. So, history never forgets the name Excelsior. Or the name Chekhov. All hands, this is the captain. Two, one. Hit it. Starship Excelsior, Star Trek fan production at starshipexcelsior.com or anywhere good podcasts are found. I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. There really is a cool idea buried in this episode. Unfortunately, it doesn't really get a lot of screen time. In Star Trek, and a lot of sci-fi, when people talk about invading colonies or taking over planets, I think we all envision a lot of battles, phaser fire, casualties, just, just absolute war. But the idea here of using natural disasters to get people to just leave is kind of a cool idea, you know, especially from a sci-fi perspective. But outside of that, we have stakes around going 47 kilometers an hour. A cool 47 reference there. And kind of cool in that this is the 47th episode of reviewing a Star Trek episode. So huh, kind of cool there. There's also stakes around falling uh, 30 kilometers and slowly fading oxygen. It's getting hotter and hotter to breathe. I guess what I'm kind of driving at here is that this was a Pretty boring episode. Now I didn't, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it at all. But aside from Neelix's outburst that we're gonna talk about in the Command Code section, there really isn't much that happens in this one. There, there are some fans that actually call this episode part of the trilogy of terror. There are three episodes that are just really bad: Darkling, Favorite Son, and this one. But I'll tell you with. Without a doubt, that's that's just not fair. This this is not at all a terrible episode. And, and if you're a fan of the Tuvok and Neelix relationship, you might even call this an excellent episode. Now, while I appreciate their relationship, I am not in the camp <laughs> that would call this excellent. But this one is certainly worth a watch. Command codes verified. We get just a few moments of Janeway in this episode, but... As she does, she demonstrates what strong leadership does as she commits to helping the Nizu through to the end. But the real takeaway in this episode, the one we're going to spend some time on, is the value of having difficult conversations. It's not easy to stand up for yourself. It's not easy to tell someone that you report to that you disagree with them. And Neelix, yes, Neelix, opens the door for me to really dive in on how to have these invaluable conversations. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support this podcast. Let's talk about Janeway real quick. In for a penny, in for a pound. Kind of corny, yeah, but it shows incredible integrity. She made a commitment to help the Nizu against these asteroids that were endangering them. Things started getting really difficult, bad enough really for the ambassador to give her and her crew an easy out, but she refused to take it. She made a commitment and she honored that. It's easy to help when things are easy, right? And when they're not, well, it's not. But what separates a strong leader from the rest is the one that continues to help even when it isn't easy to. Now, let's get to Neelix and difficult conversations. Right out of the gate, I want to say that Neelix did not do this well, but he did do it. And that puts him at the head of the pack, as it were. You see, the harsh reality that that exists here, the, the, the hard-to-swallow pill, is that according to an anecdotal study done by me, um... Honestly, right now at this very moment in my in my head, <laughs> I'd say that about ninety seven point one four percent of all difficult conversations that need to happen never actually do. But Neelix did. Now I want to say that again. Most difficult conversations that need to happen never do, and that that's a crime. The conversations aren't easy, but but honestly, everyone benefits from them. These are things that need to be said and need to be heard. So if you hear nothing else in this podcast episode, hear this. Go have that difficult conversation that you've been needing to have. Do it. You can do it. Difficult conversations can be a lot of things. They happen at work. They happen in our personal lives. These are conversations where you may have news to deliver that the other person may not want to hear, or you need to let someone know that something went wrong, or, like Neelix does, when a relationship needs attention. And they aren't a thing. Here's the thing, too. This a difficult conversation isn't just a thing for managers or supervisors to have. These conversations can come from anyone. But I do want to acknowledge that there's additional anxiety when that conversation needs to, needs to go up the org chart. But we're going to leverage emotional intelligence as a guide for having the conversations and ultimately managing that anxiety. So let's start with a quick review of emotional intelligence. I go into more detail on EQ in a few other episodes. Listen to TOS, A Private Little War, and Enterprise, The Catwalk for more. But there are five dimensions to emotional intelligence. There's self-awareness, self-regulation, motivation, empathy, and social skills. These all play a role in having an effective, difficult conversation. With that as our foundation, let's, let's build it in as we go and look at the structure of having a difficult conversation. Step one is is identifying that the conversation needs to happen. Step two might be one that you hadn't considered. In my experience, many people don't consider this step, and it is so very critical. Prepare. My mental preparations for the game are very different than most. John Wooden, who I've quoted before, he's the legendary UCLA basketball coach, says failing to prepare is preparing to fail and that absolutely applies to a difficult conversation. You need to think about what you're going to say and even how you're going to say it. Almost more importantly, you need to, and here's that emotional intelligence, you need to be aware of the emotions that you have around this topic. From there, you can practice self-regulation around them. A difficult conversation almost always has emotions surrounding it. That's what makes them difficult. But the focus of the conversation shouldn't be driven by those emotions. Your feelings need to be expressed. They need to be acknowledged. But you also need to root your conversation in facts and observations. So if I want to have a conversation with you about the way you always make cracks about my receding hairline and Yes. Uh, this is from a from a true story, actually in my current role. And uh, and I don't think through my approach on doing that. I don't prepare. I'm not aware of my emotions and I don't self-regulate. And then and then I come at you. I'm gonna come at you like, dude, knock it off. You're being a jerk, and I hate it when you tell me how much bigger my forehead is than our last meeting. Well. <laughs> You're probably not gonna be open. To more discussion or hearing me out, if I come at you that way, right, you're going to immediately get defensive and you're not going to feel very good about anything that happens next. Instead, if I take some time to prepare and I reach out to you ahead of time and tell you that I'd like to talk about some observations I've made and how they made me feel, when we do meet, I'm going to be able to present my side in a way that you are much more likely to hear going to be something like, I want to talk with you because I've noticed that every time we meet, you make a joke about my hairline. I don't like that. It doesn't feel good when you say those things to me. And we're off. You're open to hear what I have to say, and we can actually proceed together. Now, you'll notice that I said I let the person know that I wanted to talk to them about something ahead of time. This is another step that's often missed. You can't just Drop a difficult topic on someone out of the blue and expect them to be there for it. Giving them some notice can give them the time needed to prepare themselves as you have prepared yourself for a tough talk. A quick example I've mentioned before a position I had as a direct supervisor that was, you know, basically a wide awake nightmare, especially in how we treated people. Well, that was a union shop. So we were required to offer what are called Weingarten rights. As union members, you have the right to union representation. If you are called into a meeting with management, that could lead to discipline. So we were required to give some advance notice for these conversations, but we did it in totally the wrong way. Earlier, I said something like, I'd like to talk about some observations I've made and how they've made me feel. I said something like that to set up the meeting. More ideally, I'd actually mention the jokes at my expense or, or even the hairline in that setup. Totally give the other person time to prepare as well. But in this job, we had a boilerplate notice that we'd offer that basically said, um, you know, so we're going to meet and you can have a steward there. Period. No mas. And all that did was heighten anxiety and immediately make the person defensive. Nothing, nothing good Ever comes from that so let the person know that this conversation is coming be completely up front with them and where and how you meet matters too ideally you want to meet in person or as in person as possible i personally count zoom or teams or whatever as being in person but only only when both people have their cameras on if possible but when you meet, you want to eliminate or diffuse any any power differential that may exist. So, like, I'm your manager and I have an office. We are not going to be meeting in my office. Maybe we go get a coffee or head to a conference room that we're both comfortable in. Once you have that, work to match eye levels. Don't stand while they sit or vice versa. Don't you sit in a cushy faux leather chair that's pushed up super high and they're on one of those plastic conference room chairs. No, sit as equally as possible. If you're meeting virtually, I recommend blurring your background or having shared backgrounds. This just reduces opportunities for distractions or perceptions of power differential. Okay, now that you've done all that, you're ready. Now, a lot of those difficult conversations that you have in your mind right now that you need to go have, I know, are a lot more intense than jokes about my hairline. They're going to be things about poor job performance, dishonesty, maybe, maybe even outright harassment, discrimination, or racism. I think it's a good idea that once you've prepared, you've notified them, and you've identified a neutral place to meet, and you're talking, it's a good idea to establish some ground rules. These accomplish two super important things. First, it offers the the rules of engagement. You're both operating from the same rule book. And second, it gives you your second win, (laughs) an agreement. The first win is coming together for a conversation at all. The goal of a difficult conversation, the ideal goal, is a shared, agreed-upon solution or a set of next steps. So coming up with ground rules that you both agree on sets that tone. And now you're doing it. You're in that conversation. You start with your prepared statement that you you know, worked on back in the preparation step. And from there, you want to be factual. You want to make objective statements. And for me, there are two of these that I keep at the top of my toolbox. Those are, I have observed, blah, 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 or... I have noticed, blah, blah, blah. Another really good one is, that makes me feel, blah, blah, blah. This keeps the discussion focused on facts and also acknowledges the emotions. Once you've done this, now it's time for you to listen. Listen openly and without judgment. Don't, do not be accusatory, right? Instead of, you did this terrible thing you'd say, I have observed you doing this thing and it has this impact. This is where you apply empathy and social skills to the other dimensions of emotional intelligence that you've already brought to focus, right? The discussion usually shouldn't be about proving that you are right and they are wrong. I mean, when it comes to breaking the law or or being racist, or harassing someone, yes, yes, this that's a part of it. But, but it's not the ideal end, right? The ideal outcome to this conversation is a shared agreement, right? Agreeing on a solution and next steps. Once you've achieved that, <laughs> hooray, you have had a successful, difficult conversation, but it doesn't end there, now, you need to follow up to be sure that both of you are following through on your agreements. These follow-ups should be agreed on in the conversation. So, so, you've come to that agreement, thank them for the conversation, and then offer a follow-up approach. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, and I'm glad that we were able to come to this agreement. I'd like to follow up and, and would like you to do the same to be sure that we both do what we've agreed to. How about how about next Tuesday, we connect for 15 minutes for a quick check-in. Sound good? You know, or, or whatever it looks like based on your conversation. So to summarize this, at a high level, there are six steps to a successful, difficult conversation. Preparation. Notification. Neutralizing power differential in the meeting place setting ground rules, agreeing on next steps, and then following up. Now, let's dissect what Neelix did here and see if there's a better way for him to have done this. To put the end at the beginning, in the episode, he gives a big part of his motivation as he confronts Tuvok. It's strange, but I really like him. He wants a friendly relationship with him. He also wants to be recognized as a peer and a professional. Okay, now let's listen in. You're going to listen to me! Okay, we need to acknowledge the high intensity of the moment and the years of pent-up emotion that Neelix has. This, honestly, is what often occurs in those 97.14% of difficult conversations that never happen. The feelings build up and build up and then result in an explosion. Wouldn't it be cool if, I don't know, before this occurrence, Neelix had followed the steps above? If he had, he would have taken time to prepare. He he would have let Tuvok know that he wanted to meet, and they would have found a neutral place and then established ground rules. This whole thing would have looked a lot different, right? It wouldn't have started with an accusatory explosion. But that's not what happened. Let's move on. See where else this goes. You are becoming emotionally distraught. There is little point in furthering this discussion. I'll tell you who's being emotional. You. You hide it beneath that Vulcan calm, but the truth is you're filled with contempt and sarcasm, and I'm tired of being the target of all your hostility. Okay, okay. Uh, Not great, but again, valid, I guess, because of the situation. Well, mostly valid. When stepping through the structure of a difficult conversation, I talked about two things that apply here. One, being objective, and two, not being judgmental or accusatory. Well, Neelix missed the boat on all of that. It's it's played as cold and unfeeling here, and, and it kind of was, but given the situation, Tuvok tried to do the right thing and put this conversation off until Neelix had a chance to collect his thoughts, to prepare, and then have a meaningful discussion. But because Neelix was one of the 97.14% for so long, the volcano has started erupting, (laughs) and it ain't stopping. I have no feelings toward Mr. Neelix. That's right. That's exactly what I'm talking about. You have no feelings for me but you have feelings against me. Okay, okay, this is better. This is better. Neelix was listening and was able to articulate his point based on what Tuvok said. And made it obvious to everyone that you have no respect for me. This is well stated. I mean, he's still being accusatory towards Tuvok, but he is describing his feelings now. He's describing them in a way that opens the door to real discussion and possibly even understanding. Well, until he, uh... Starts just going full accusation again. But you don't have any instincts. You don't have any gut feelings. Anytime you're tempted to use a you statement, right? Like, like you don't have any instincts. Try to flip it into an I statement. He could have said, I've noticed you don't follow your instincts. I've seen that you dismiss your gut feelings. Here's why I think that's bad. You see... He's saying the same things, but in a way that doesn't accuse Tuvok and actually invites him to listen instead of immediately having to defend his actions. I disagree. Fine! And I would, too. If Neelix came at me, Warp 9.97 with shields up and torpedoes loaded, (laughs) I'd disagree, too, and be ready to double down on everything I'd done. So, okay, kudos to Neelix for at least having the conversation. That that puts him in my top 2.86th percentile, right? But because he didn't follow the steps and the structure, he didn't get that agreement. He should have prepared for this conversation, provided Tuvok with some notification that they were going to have the discussion and then set it up in a neutral place and set up ground rules. From there, they could have an objective discussion that could lead to an agreement. Instead, they both have to nearly die and then come through for each other for them to find any common ground at all. Thank you to everyone that has left a rating and a review. I appreciate it so much. Now, if I miss you here, I apologize. Let me know. Let me know so I can get you into a future episode. So I want to give shout-outs and say thank you to Bucknut2410, 2XL, BCAD 47. Ah, I see what you did there. Annie, Dirt Wasp 6, Rev Seti, Secret Habit Coaching, and King's Cast. Now, if I missed you, please, please let me know. I want to make sure I give you a shout out. And if you haven't left a rating and a review yet, please do. Just head to that section in your favorite podcast app, hit the stars, write a review, and I'll give you a shout out. Thank you so much for it. I also want to thank everyone that's written a love letter for the Starfleet Leadership Academy and the podcast opportunity. If you haven't had a chance to do that yet, they're still accepting those love letters into mid-March of 2022. So click the link in the show notes and help the podcast out. Those shout-outs are going to come out on my social medias, but I also want to give them right here on this episode. So thank you to L. Brown, to Justin, Kendra, Nick, Cameron, Leadership Equity Works, the Funnest Frontier podcast, Amanda, the Green Shirt podcast, Nico is Rad, Eric, Marcus, Pascal, Think Leader, The Lonely Havoc, Olivia, and everyone else that has submitted a letter. And if you want to see the shout outs on the social medias, right, you can catch me on Twitter at SFLA Podcast, and you can follow me on all the social media at Jeff T. Aiken. That's Jeff, T is in triadium, A-K-I-N. Computer, what are we going to watch next time? Working. Oh, this is a classic. From The Next Generation's second season, the 16th episode, q who? This is going to be the second time we meet Q. First time that we, or, or anyone in the chronology of this, will see the Borg. I mean, we've talked a lot about Seven of Nine and some of her stuff, and, and there was family where, where we saw the aftermath of the Borg. But in this one, oh, it's the Borg. I'll see you then, and remember... Resistance is futile. Ex-Asteris Scientia!